99% of them that are successful know the business. They know the value of relationships. They know the value of, um, of networking and connecting with others. Hey, it's Leading Matters. My guest today is Matt Marr. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. I know I say that all the time, but I sincerely believe it because every guest that I have on the show always brings some perspective, some unique experience that they're either exercising in their professional lives or who they are as individuals, and this is no exception. Matt is a charismatic guy. He's incredibly sincere. He is one of those types of people that you're just like, man, I'm really glad I know this guy, and I want to know, I want to know more about this guy. And that's how I felt anyway when we were done with the 35-minute chat or so. I don't even want to cover the episode too much other than to really challenge you to listen with a new set of ears as far as how you go about um, connecting with the people that are closest to you, but also, and maybe more importantly, connecting with the people that are maybe opposed to something that you've got going on. And the great thing about Leading Matters is we take a look at it from all angles so we get adopted into our our efforts to lead whatever it is that we're leading, whether it's our business or whether it is our, um, you know, our families or whatever it might be, to, uh, you know, gain some advantage over to how we're executing on a daily basis. Now, I know that's a lot of words here, but I think you'll be really inspired by the perspective that Matt brings to the table. So sit back. I hope you're going to enjoy this one. If you do, let me know, but more importantly, share it around because, again, like most of my guests, I really think that there are plenty of people out there that need to hear what Matt has to say, and they're just waiting for you to share that with them. So go ahead and do that for me. But in the meantime, sit back and relax and enjoy my interview with Matt Marr. Hey, you know when you run into someone, maybe not even in person, but you see uh, maybe a video of them, hear them on a show or or something like that, and you think to yourself, hey, I, I kind of like this guy. I mean, I don't know him, but he's all right with me. Well, that's the sort of reaction that I'm going to bet that you have today with my guest. He's charismatic, he's interesting, and he comes across as incredibly sincere. So a little bit about him. Now, he's got a master's in clinical psychology from Antioch University and has been using it to help people gain perspective and power in their lives. He hosts a weekly advice podcast called The Dear Maddie Show. He covers just about everything, relationships, fear, friends, jobs, makeup, sex, you name it. He believes that our lives can be seen through a story metaphor with characters of fear, hope, depression, addiction, you name that as well, all contributing to our story. But the key, he believes, is to write the narrative yourself and don't let the negative influences build your drama for you. And oh, by the way, he teaches a class for actors called The Maddie Method. So who is he? Well, he's the man who some have called today's gay white Oprah, Mr. Matt Marr. Matt, thank you so much for being with me today on Leading Matters. Oh, thank you. So what an introduction with that velvet voice. I loved it. It was like I'm on the Barry White show. I love it, Joe Caparella. <laughs> you know, it's funny. That's It's funny you say that, right? Because we know each other through, we've come to connect through David Ralph, a uh, uh, UK yeah. podcaster, and, and Dave's, uh, David's got a very kind of British wit. The first thing he said to me, the very first thing is, my goodness, your voice doesn't match your photo at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I think like you have this really like handsome Victor Garber type thing. I, I, I think it's working for you. I like it. Well, all right. I love that. It's funny because I hated my voice growing up. Remember when you were a kid and you recorded your voice and you hated it when you heard it back because you never heard your voices. Other people hear it. 
Oh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would go. I still go to the drive through and I'll say, yes, can I get an iced tea? And they'll say, just drive through, ma'am. And I'm like, Lord, help me. <laughs> I get that, too. Like when I answer the phone and it's like, hey, uh, ma'am, is may I speak with your husband? I'm like, well. Sure, but I'm him. Sure, I'm him, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm him. Yeah, All right, David's so listen. Great. Yeah, I love David, too. So, so Matt, I want to jump right into it here, and I want to start sure. with that last bit of the uh, the first bit of the intro where I mentioned, or I'm sorry, the last bit where I mentioned um, that you see our lives as stories. So you know what I want to do? Mm-hmm. I want to kind of give you free reign here. Talk to me about what you think that means a little bit and, and why we should care about the story of our lives. Uh, sure. I mean, it, it's I, I, I want to say that I was smart enough to think of this, but... Sugar, I'm not. So um, it was actually from a, you know, that's a type of therapy, actually, that's practical, where people think of therapy as, you know, Freud and psychodynamic or Kleinian and or Gestalt or whatever. There's actually a form of therapy called narrative therapy. It started in Australia, I believe, in the 70s, uh, maybe late 60s. But it's just a different way of looking at um, a kind of a, assessing problems and, and skills and solutions in our lives. So what we mean by a very, very watered down version of it, but when I say looking at the life through a story metaphor, it's that we it's really just a way of externalization. Because when a client comes to me and they they come to me and they feel they tell me I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm a drunk or I'm a sex addict or whatever, they're really taking on this kind this ownership of this kind of negative identity of basically they're telling me I'm damaged. And so for me, it's about it's get, for as a therapist, part of our first work is getting people just out of the perspective of I'm damaged. So that way they can hopefully start to see some light. And so when we start to work through this story metaphor, like if somebody came to me and they said, you know, even if they said uh, I'm an alcoholic, I often could talk to them and say, well, what if what if alcohol is a character in your life and you have a relationship with alcohol? And if this is a soap opera, this is your life and you're the main person and you're often the main char- the main character. You're usually the one who's writing the story. At what times does the character of alcohol kind of like, you know, the boogeyman or whatever with the cape behind his face or whatever, however they want to picture it. How does this character of alcoholism come into your story? And so doing that, when we get people to think that way, because a lot of times people say, I don't know why I drink. I, it just happens. But then when I say, well, when when, are, when does the character of alcohol kind of make an appearance more in your life? Is it at night or is it in the morning? Is it when after you had a fight with your wife or is it after you talked to your dad? You know, and so we find these instances or is it when you when you're leaving work or you have to go to work? And so basically they it's a way of externalization because we believe as narrative therapists, people are so close to their problems. They it's literally like you're inside you're inside the eye of the tornado and the problems are swirling around you and you can you can't see you're just trying to grasp or for a solution blindly whereas a when we use a story metaphor it's often a way it's we get you to sit out sit outside of the tornado and you're looking at it from a farther distance and then you can kind of point out oh that that shifts that way that moves that way that does and then you can kind of see how things are working together and we do that with not only your problems but when people come in and they say, well, I've got this problem and this problem, I'll let them talk for a couple of minutes and I'll say, not to interrupt you, but I am. But I want to know what are some things that are going well in your life? What are you good at? What? Because 
I'm going to dissect those two. It's not about peeling the the. It's not about peeling the onions, so to speak, or the layers for your problems as much as peeling them for your strengths. Because you know, Joe, you came into me and you said, "Oh, I'm super anxious all the time," and I saw, and so I immediately say, "Well, let's talk about the anxiety and the character of anxiety and how it comes into your life." And like, when do you feel like the character is stronger in your life? And when do you feel like it's weaker? You know, when do you feel like um, anxiety debilitates you? And when do you feel like sometimes uh, anxiety is not holding you as, as much? And you might say, well, you know, I find, you know, sometimes when I take a break at, on my lunch break at work, sometimes on sometimes anxiety isn't it, it doesn't feel like it's holding me as bad. And I'll say, well, why is that? And you might say, well, it's only on certain days when I have a longer lunch period, and that's usually when I take a walk, or that's usually, let's say, I, I go to a park and sit and I eat my lunch. And then I say, well, what is it about the park? And you're like, well, I'm able to just think. I'm able to look at the trees, or I'm able to, you know, um, just not really talk to anybody. So then we're learning, oh, so does taking time like to pause or take, you know, or some people, they, a lot of times they say working out. They're like, oh, I realize I'm not anxious when I, I feel anxiety can't hold on to me as much whenever I get done working out. So it's like, okay, so now we have this character of fitness in your life. Mm -hmm. So, so if fitness and character and fitness and anxiety are two characters in your life, it's almost like, you know, what, when can, how can we have fitness show up in a way that lessons that we know, like, let's, you know, we, not that everybody has mother issues, but or dad issues, but a lot of times we can get triggered by that. And so somebody might know, Oh, I know when I'm going to call my mom or or after I talk to my mom, I'm going to get really anxious. So I would say, okay, well, we know this character of fitness helps combat the the anxiety. So should we take a run before or after or heck during while you're running on a treadmill, talk to your mom or your dad, you know, whatever yeah. we need to do. And it hopefully gives them some more solutions in their life so they don't feel so debilitated. Yeah, I'll tell you what. What's the what's the therapy called? You you mentioned it earlier in the very beginning. Of that yeah, it's it's called narrative therapy, and there is a book called What Is Narrative Therapy, and I cannot remember the author, um, but it's literally, and I'm not kidding, it's like a 50 page book. It's it's not, it, it's meant to not be this. A very complex type of theory because we believe more than anything as a narrative therapist I believe that the client is the expert in their life. Mm -hmm. I am not I am not dr. Phil I'm not telling them what to do in their life. That's fine. That's his way I want them to come up with a solution because I'd rather someone feel empowered by their own yeah. solutions than shamed by my advice Yes, well listen, you know why why I'm so uh, drawn to the the description of it, right? Is because I, you know, what I do is, and it's I'm, it's not important for the purpose of the show, but story is a big crux of it, right? In other words, yeah, if we're exactly. in, if we're in business, right, we have to be able to tell the story of what we do in a dramatic way, and there's reasons for that, right? They're like there's, I had a woman, uh, Christine Comerford, on the show, uh, right, I guess before Christmas, maybe Thanksgiving even, and she's a behavioral psychologist, and she's big on story and the biology of our brains, and the reason that we we story is so important because we that's how we remember that's like when you mm -hmm. smell something from your past it brings you immediately back to that moment or a song or so therefore she feels like story has been extracted from like our professional lives mm -hmm. but injecting it back in has awesome things to do with how we lead our teams and whatnot so i'm really curious to hear that approach right because i if if and i'll, I'll pose the statement more in a, in a question right do you do you find 
you know, for yourself or your clients or even those that you're close with, that once we're able to identify the positive dramatic nature of the story we're living, that invariably, you know, good things happen. And not like, you know, blockbuster things, but we're headed, we start heading in a more purposeful direction. I mean, is that me kind of stacking the deck a little bit or you think that's true? No, I think that's very true. I think, yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. It's, um, you know, it's about, it's really, it's about choice. I think when people feel debilitated in emotional ways or they feel overwhelmed in business, it's a lot of times they feel like they don't have a choice. And so it's remembering, remembering you have a choice to actually make a decision. And I think that's often very empowering to people. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, that, I just think that's, that's such a big, uh, I, so yeah, I think you're right on track. So, uh, does this, I know I, in your bio, you talk about teaching an acting class. I mean, there's the same kind of ability. Again, I don't know many actors in my life, right? But what I have found in the course of my, you know, I'm like traditional business type guy. I've been in marketing most mm-hmm. of my life, right? But what I found in the marketing world is that, and in business in general, today with all our media options, it becomes so critical to become more creative about how you're presenting what it is you do, right? Not that it wasn't important before, but now with all these media options, it becomes even more important to put a face to who you are as a as a professional, a company, whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? And mm-hmm. I find that in my world, that creative element of professionalism is just it it's lacking it's not there and it's tricky to fill because if i find a creative to come in sometimes they don't have the business acumen if i find somebody has the huge business acumen sometimes they can't you know they can't get into the creative nature of how we need to sell and and build our business today right and i really Mm -hmm. find it a paradox like i don't know i don't know how to bridge that gap so i'm curious like in in your world because it's a little bit different than mine is is the creative nature of people that that sustain themselves as professionals there? Is it just a natural ability for them? And do they struggle the way a business person might struggle having to go the other direction? Yeah, I think very much so. A lot of actors and creative types say things, oh, I hate the business. I hate the business. I hate thinking about this way. I hate thinking myself as a brand. And and then I, to them, I just say, then get out. And get it because especially more than anything if you're an actor you're a brand you are the product it's not even like you're making blankets to sell to people yeah. you are the blanket you are the product so if you um so that is a lot of like working in my class and working with actors is getting them to get past that and and a lot of times i feel like and i'll say this i'll make the jump for people in business that are not wanting to go for with the creative i often say that you know the reasons we often go – things that we don't go towards immediately are often the things we need to go towards the most. We're just fearful to do it. And with actors, I think they – using that excuse of, oh, I'm just not good at the business, I think is an excuse. And that there's – you know, that the actors that I know is, are successful, there are 95 – 99, I would almost say, 99% of them that are successful – know the business. They know the value of relationships. They know the value of, um, of networking and connecting with others. And then there's the 1% that are just, you know, the Meryl Streep's and Daniel Day Lewis's or the Brad Pitt's that are so gorgeous. They're either too ta- so talented or so gorgeous. They're going to be a movie star anyway. But for the rest of us, it is, we have to figure out the business aspect or we don't survive. There's just too many. 
man, that I love that. You know, I um, I listen to a ton of books to help me. Like, I'm not very good at selling, right? I, I that's not news to my audience. I tell my audience that a lot, right? So I re I get a hold of stuff that I can get. You know, anytime I I, I have this uh, friend of mine from college that helps me as like a sales trainer, and I listen to this guy Grant Cardone. I'm not sure if you ever heard. I of him. I love Grant Cardone. The Cardone <laughs> Zone. Get in the Cardone Zone. My boyfriend and I. My boyfriend's obsessed with that show. Like. If he met Grant Cardone, he would probably start like crying, <laughs> like he loves him. But I listen to him too. Sometimes he yells a lot, and I'm like, "Babe, it's enough." And he's like, "It's so good, though." So yeah, you know, Grant. Oh, Go good. On. Oh, I'm glad you're dumb, right? Because I tell you what, like I when I first started, when I, I didn't know who he was. I found him on Snapchat of all things, right? Because somebody recommended follow this guy, right? And I can't get enough of him, right? Because he talks about like I love what you talked about in the acting world, because you know his wife is an actor, and you know, she's not anybody. Uh, you would recognize her name, right? But she's done well. I mean, she's she's been on she was on soap operas, uh, you know, back in the I guess the early thousands and whatnot. But it exemplifies exactly what he talks about, which is listen, you have to be obsessed about what you do, every single facet of it, and then execute, right? I mean, is that and look, and it's interesting because I find that all, of the, even though it sounds so simple, that it's so hard. And I'm wondering, and here's the question in here, I'm wondering if it's because of what we talked about earlier, that like the negative stories of our lives prevent us from being obsessed about the good things of where we need to head and the purpose that we have to fulfill. Again, is that kind of being too like esoteric about it? Or do you think it's, there's something to that? No, I think, I think that's not something to it. I think that is the essence of that is the essence of all hesitance, hesitancy to me is the fear of not succeeding. And, you know, it's uh, Marianne Williamson, uh, who is, you know, a, if, if your listeners don't know her as well, she's a wonderful, uh, she was been on Oprah like tons of times when Oprah was going to, but a, a life coach, spiritual teacher. Uh, but she often talks about the, the thing that we're the most afraid of is our own personal power. And and truly how powerful we can be and how influential we could be. I get that. That's scary because when you're influential, when you're powerful, that means you have responsibility. I mean, what is that? With great responsibility comes great power from Spider-Man or whatever. But it's just, <laughs> yeah. but 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 it is that. It is that. If you if you don't if you don't feel that, if you're not doing that, then you you don't feel powerful, and and, and it's not. It's a different type of pressure on yourself. Yeah, no, that's, I like that, you know, a different type of pressure. That's quite good, right? You know, let me ask you, I want to shift gears to a different topic here. And, and sure. we talked a little bit about before we got on uh, on air, so to speak, here. But, I, you know, in prep for the show, I, I listened to some of your shows. Um, you know, I've checked out uh, your, your site and your social feeds and whatnot. And what I, and I'm really, I'm really drawn to even your social feeds, right? Because what I found is you're unapologetic over what you believe, Right where your mm -hmm. politics lie and, and, and how you feel about what's going on in the world. But invariably, you always, almost always seek to understand in the way you state things publicly what's going on on the other side, even if those views might be hurtful to you or whatnot. So like, why, why is that? Like, why do you go through that? Because look, most people today, let's be honest, are comfortable in their little bubble. You know, the, the algorithm of Facebook feeds us only that which we like. You know, that's just like, it's kind of harder to get out of the bubble, but you seem to want to do that. And I'm curious, why is that important to you to do something like that? You know, it, it's just, it was ingrained in me, I think. And uh, part of it is, you know, I'm obsessed I, I'm obsessed with Wonder Woman. I have a Wonder Woman kitchen. I love comic books and superheroes and things like that. And one of the things I, I, I loved about Wonder Woman as a little kid, 
uh, was truth. And especially as a little gay kid growing up in Oklahoma in the middle of the Bible Belt, um, I had a very loving family. We grew up Catholic. Um, but and so but I still, you know, you knew I didn't necessarily know I was gay as a little kid, but I knew I was different. And so so basically it's just there's this essence of me lying about my truth. You know, that sounds cliche to say, what's your truth? But that is the reason why that's cliche is because it is true. It is if we're not living the essence of who we really are, whether that's in business or creative, personal, then eventually the ball is going to drop. So I think for me, it's about, you know, growing again. I, I, you know, I I had a really great family or still have a great family. And, um, but still growing up, you know, as a feminine kid, I loved Wonder Woman. I had a lisp. I mean, there was a lot going on. And so, you know, of course, you know, I would get not a ton, not as worse as some kids, but I would get bullied and call names and call a sissy and the fag and stuff like that. And so, it's uh, I I realized I knew when those people were saying those things to me, they weren't thinking even I don't know where this came. Well, I think it's probably God for me. Um, those people weren't thinking about what I was going through when they were calling me that. And it's the same. And and and, it, and, it, and it, I want to make a jump and say that that translates now that, you know, I've told you I'm from Oklahoma and I live in California. So I'm from like the most liberal. I live in the most liberal political state in our union and I'm arguably from the most conservative and but and so when I see political people that are just either yelling or talking at one another I see that and this goes on both sides some of my you know liberal friends are really upset right now and a lot of the conservative people feel justified and they won but it sickens me when people think that this is about winning and losing because then there's no understanding. There's no understanding and then there's no conversation. Um, and it, it's it, – I think we – I have to fight to do that. I just actually interviewed – I just put the episode up today, um, an interview I did with two women. Their, their podcast is called Pantsuit Politics, and one is – they're two moms, and one is on the left and one is on the right. And they have such a beautiful conversation about under Sarah and Beth are the names, such a beautiful conversation about trying to understand one another. And so, I, yeah, I just think it's I, if, if I don't try to understand somebody, then why would I expect somebody to try to understand me? And I, I just think that I think a lot of it goes back to just having Christian values. And I'm honestly I'm not a Christian anymore, but being raised with those type of values mm. uh, that you that you do, you you try to understand one another, you put yourself in somebody else's shoes, you try to walk in their shoes as Christ did, you know, you do those things. And honestly, I think a, a lot of people on both sides and a lot of people even that are calling themselves Christians are not doing that right now. I think they just want to be, yeah. they want to be right because they yeah. feel like they're losing something. And when you feel like you're getting something back or or something's being stripped away from you, you're cutting off your empathy. Yeah. No, that, that's uh, that's really powerful stuff. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, because I try to do the same thing as try it, because it is important to me. I, like, one of the things I get puzzled by is, look, I, I understand the climate we're in, right? But large and small businesses of all sort, it, it's sometimes I want business in general because I, I don't think it's going to be the media. I don't think the, the media, in my opinion, now I'm pontificating, so stick with me here for a minute, okay, Matt? Let's, <laughs> let's go, sugar. Let's go. The media, in my opinion, is uh, – look, they're, they're, they're under the gun, right? Because if – look, the old trade media and, and you know, tier one print media, 
their business model is blown away. So they got to figure out how they can make money, right? So therefore, mm -hmm. fear sells. They print stuff that, that people are fearful of and then gets clicks and whatnot. The new media is even worse because they know the advertising model even better than anybody. And they know, they know for a fact. I mean, look at the whole fake news thing that came in after the election, right? And yeah. people you know, telling Facebook that they need to get in the game and, and do something about it. But I don't think media is ever going to change, right? So therefore, I almost – sometimes I turn to – business because that's where we spend the majority of our lives right we spend more time yeah. in our career than we do anywhere else right so mm -hmm. i wish that business would make it part of the values to say listen we're not going to play you know politics or or whatnot but we're going to be the champions of true diversity which is let's really appreciate the experience that people that bring to the table and what it means you know that story you just gave me when you were a child well people need to understand that and hear that and understand well geez what you know how does that shape the man and what's the what does that what what's the benefit of that experience that when they come to the table but that looks i think that's a i think that's a monumental you know mountain to scale sometimes but that's why i really and again maybe i'm and i guess and there's a question here i promise you but maybe i'm That's off the reservation on this but do you think that our companies big small or indifferent or even you as a clinical psychologist can bring that into the mix as we're saying hey this is going to be important to us that we're going to encourage this thing in both directions and we're going to make it a value of who we are or is that just wishful thinking no i <laughs> I think if we stop believing that will happen, then it won't. So I hope I am very hopeful that those kind of things happen. I'm hopeful, you know, it's a, uh, I, I do think it, I think it could happen more in that. I mean, look, look at just what happened with Uber. I, I can't remember the guy's uh, name, but he's, he pulled out. He wasn't his intention to show his support for Trump, but by being on that uh, business council, he pulled out. Uh, because that looked like it was showing support for Trump and people were, um, you know, deleting Uber. And I think that's that sucks. Uh, I think that's a lose lose for everyone in the fact of for conservatives, for liberals, for everybody, because here we it, it's we're cutting off the conversation uh, where you can't even. People can't – we're trying to say that people can't disagree with people and still work with them. And so what I'm getting back to as far as, as values is that it, it maybe could even go too far where, you know, because of social media, all it takes is one tweet or one picture of something a company said or did that could totally disrupt or hurt or ruin a company's business. And there's so much transparency is such a hot word and heck hacking even, I think people have to be very mindful about what kind of practices they they put in their business because that people are even more and more are, and I'm this way too, you know, I mean, I mean, if I find, if I find out a business is not LGBT friendly and those kind of things, it's, I'm not mad at them, but I'm like, well, okay, but I'm not going to give them my money. And so we're finding that more and more. And so, um, and, and I know a lot of people on the other side, you know, there's if they're if we're finding that businesses don't support either conservative values or uh, whatever values they believe in, they don't want to support that as well. So I do think it's happening more and more. I don't know if it's in the best way, though, because don't you feel like it's still sometimes like a business has to almost say like, well, we're on this side or we're on this side instead of just saying this is what we believe as a company and these values can not check every box of the right or check yeah. every box of the left. No, I do. I think I think businesses are are I think they're cowards, right? I don't think they, you know, I think they want to please 
the biggest Everybody. majority of the people yeah. that's good for their business, right? Where instead of taking and this, look and herein and it, I'll, again frame this in a question too, because herein lies the challenge, right? Because you're never going to get 100 percent of the people to agree on 100 percent of the things. I mean, it just doesn't happen, right? So yeah. what? Where? How far? Like, look, I'll you know be blunt, right, with you, right? And uh-huh. in the if somebody's not completely on board with your views on the LGBT uh, community, and let's say it's whatever it is, whatever the issue is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and maybe those views are hurtful, but they're genuinely good people, quote unquote, good people, right? Like, how how far is a bridge too far for you? Uh, you know, I don't know how far it would be because you know I. I have family members that, you know, that still pray for my sins and things like that. So, you know, they still love me and tell me they love me. But at the same time, it's like they we have a difference of thought because to me and I know some people because they're thinking that probably like being gay is still a choice or things like that. Whereas I look at to me, it's the same as race. I did not choose this. I, you know, I grew up in Southern Oklahoma with a father who is a Southern Oklahoma plumber, born and raised, like salt of the earth. If it, if this was, if anybody tells me that it was a choice for me to, to be uh, gay, I want to say, sugar, come yeah. live in my past. Okay. <laughs> and cause that was a dumb choice to make. <laughs> and so, so that's the way I see it. So I feel like, so to me, and I'm not saying that other people are wrong, but to me, like when people, whether they use a religious context or conservative context or whatever they use to discriminate against things of like gay marriage or gay adoption or uh, trans rights or things like that, I want to say to me, that's the same as if you said a black and white person couldn't get married. It's just the same as racism to me, uh, but uh, on a different level. I mean, to me, it's that not no pun intended, black and white. But then I have to understand you know, where other people are coming from. And again, it's a just be, I don't, I don't have to agree with somebody on everything to have a, a, a good conversation with them to be, to laugh with them and to see, to just understand them. And I think that, um, you know, cause the way I look at it is, you know, I, I being a therapist, I volunteered for a su- suicide helpline many years ago for LGBT youth, called the Trevor Project. And, you know, I I would rather have a difficult conversation with someone who doesn't understand my life or doesn't understand my beliefs in the hope that, because I always have them back in my day, yeah, I was lucky that I had parents that didn't kick me out of the house. I was lucky that I had parents that told me they loved me anyway. I, um, I was lucky that I didn't have parents that tell me I was an abomination and that I'm going to hell. But a lot of kids aren't that lucky. So mm-hmm. it's if I can have conversations with their parents or even if I need to get beat up on a little bit as an adult or I need to get bullied a little bit, I'm okay with that. I want to take it. You know, I want to take that so maybe their child or their nephew or niece won't have to go through that as much if there's some understanding built through me. So I guess the answer to that I, you know, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep as long as somebody isn't maybe like physically hurting me. I mean, obviously, there's people on social media that they're just there to be one million percent hateful. And I don't want yeah. that type yeah. of language on my page. But, yeah, I, you know, I'm going to sugar. I'm there to walk the walk and go the distance as much as I can. That's awesome. I love that, Matt. I absolutely love it. And, you know, I, I'm, this is why I wanted to have you on the show because I knew that you'd have, you know, was, wisdom of uh, little pearls of wisdom like this. I'm, I'm thankful for it. Look, but I want to enter on a little bit of a lighter note, right? Sure. <laughs> um, so let true. me ask, as you're talking, and look, stick with me on this one. It's good because I try to keep my, um, 
my answers or my questions get long sometimes, but I feel like with you, I'm, I, no, I, I like be it. a little bit. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to frame the question this way. And so stick with me just for a moment. I was a big fan of Breaking Bad, right? I just love that show. I thought it was like, I'm not sure if you liked it or not, but I just thought it was like a great piece of, it really reflected the struggle of like, you know, hum, human shortfalls, right? I mean, nobody, uh-huh. There was no redeeming character in that show, right? Everybody had an issue going on. And I and I love that in entertainment. I love when entertainment captures that, like the human condition, right? That we're all like these yeah. like broken people. Like whoever you are, I don't care if you're the most successful person in the world, you've got some issue that you've either overcome or are dealing with even today. So mm-hmm. here's the lighter hearted question. So what? Because I'm gonna guess you probably find this in in your entertainment as well, and there's mm-hmm. something you probably like. So what's the one like piece of entertainment, whether it's a show or a song or whatever, that you think captures the essence of of the human condition really well? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I've never, ever been asked that question that captures the essence of, wow, I, there's so many ways I can go with it. I mean, as far as, I'm not really a crier, um, but I, that, that there, you know, I'll get like teary at movies or television shows, probably, you know, I mean, it's cl- again, probably cliche because so many people have seen it, but I just I love Shawshank Redemption. That's such at the heart of who I am as a part. Not that I've been to prison and back. Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with that. But uh, but no, I what I love about that movie is that it's about hope. And that to me, that's a huge theme of that, which and it's so funny that it was written by Stephen King, who, you know, a lot of people don't think of as that's a yeah. hopeful writer. But that's actually the first question I ask people when they come in, because I don't want them to acknowledge that even when you come into counseling that that's a that's a step that's a huge step that you were at, that you were had the humility and the the courage to do that so i asked him the first thing i i asked what is your hope in coming to coming here today what is your hope because as soon as we start as soon as we realize we have a hope then that means that we have a light and that we have a a choice and i just know i think for me as a again growing up as a kid and having kind of the love bubble as my family and you know, I, I rem, you know, I remember at a, at a very young age, like in fifth grade, like again walking through the hall. It was like at the first start of school. Classes were starting to change. It was in the summer, and some kid walked by me and called me a name. And I remember, like, I heard that voice of my mom and my dad, you know, telling me that 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 they loved me and they thought I was awesome. And I just kind of said, I'm not going to listen to that voice. I'm not going to listen to him. I'm going to listen to the the hopeful voice. And I kind of made that choice. And that's why I love Shawshank Redemption because those people are in a, a, a horrible, dark, dark situation. And, and, you know, with Andy Dufresne wrongly yeah. so, but yet he still have hope. Yeah, that's great. No, I, awesome choice. I my, my brother loves that one too. He was always talking about, uh, you know, red ends up killing himself and, and the, the juxtaposition of red and, uh, and, uh, whoever Morgan Freeman's that, character was right. It's just good stuff. So I, I love great that, answer. Yeah. It's got to be that or golden girls, man. That's <laughs> not to bring out the gay cliche, but that show is so good. And it's so great at – I love that that show is such a great example of uh, – you know, Carol Burnett, who's one of my favorites, uh, and I loved her show as well, always said that uh, comedy is just tragedy plus time. And I love that on Golden Girls, they really just – they made fun of everything and anything and could you know, could crack a joke at a funeral. And I again, I try to live with my life with that joy just to find the humor in any, any, in any things I can because it's just too funny not to. It's so Life is so weird. 
It is indeed. And listen, I am going to wrap it up right there. And again, we've been speaking with Matt Marr. You need to check his show out. It's called Ask Matty. That's uh, a podcast. Oh, Dear Matty. Dear Matty. Oh, Dear Matty. I'm sorry. It's called Dear That's Matty. Okay. Yeah, uh, M-A-T-T-I-E, DearMattyShow.com. You can go for that. Yeah, actually, that's a good question. Where, so where the, uh, tell, tell my audience again so I don't step over it like I just did where they could find oh. the show and you. Sure, yeah, yeah. It, they can find all social media. For me, it's V Matt Marr, two T's, two R. And then again, the website of the show is Dear Matty Show, M A T T I E, Dear Matty Show.com. Uh, yeah, you can advise advice questions there. Again, on social media. I'm also, because I'm a comedian and an actor, I'm also with a friend. We're doing, you know, television, a couple of recaps of some television shows. So, um, yeah, we're, do, we're doing, you know, we're, I'm just kind of all over the place. All right. All right. Great. And I will, I will definitely link those up. But again, it is Matt Marr. Uh, and I, listen, I told you at the beginning that I thought you're going to come away thinking, well, I like that guy. And it's my bet that you absolutely did. Uh, so, Matt, listen, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to join me today on Leading Matters. Thank you so much, Joe.